Hi, I'm Namusa. And I'm Adana. And this is the Africana Podcast. Now I don't know uh, what our words really are. It's okay. We'll make them up. We'll make them up. No one knows what we are saying. Hi, my name is Tepo Musweo. I'm a South African male, 31, turning 32 in November. What I do for a living is basically I work in the marketing and media industry. So it's a blend of basically two. I'm an entrepreneur, I'm my own company, but I have about 10 years experience in advertising, graphic design, user interface design. And now I run a company that makes podcasts branded podcast specifically, and then occasionally, which we really should be doing more often, but occasionally we will do our own original podcast, much like the one you're listening to right now. Things I'm passionate about, it's always like a really weird thing to ask people, I feel, but um, I really like sports. We, we did it anyways. <laughs> yeah, I really like sports. Watching it, I used to play it, but not as much as I probably should now, but I'll get back into it. And then, yeah, I guess creativity really is a big part of my life. So even outside of what I do for a living, um, I illustrate, I design typefaces, I write. So yeah, anything creative is really something that I really enjoy doing. That's basically me in a nutshell. Uh, well, it's awesome to have you on the podcast. So I'm going to go right into the first question and give the people what they want. So the first question is, what does an ally mean to you? And then also, does it mean something different um, or have different implications in South Africa compared to kind of other countries on the African continent? You know, uh, that word ally, it's quite um, interesting in the sense that when I imagine an ally, I always imagine like, you know, wartime movies or not even just the movies, but the idea of, you know, some sort of war. And um, often with the allies in various wars that have taken place, you know, they came in all different shapes and sizes. So I think at first, when you think about an ally, you know, in the sense that, you know, there's no bullets being fired or whatever, we tend to think of like someone who, well, I tend to think of someone who is on the front line. But as I've looked at my own journey, I guess, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily the guy who's going to be at the rally with the with the poster and, you know, shouting, although that can happen. But I think the, the brand of ally that I'll probably take is more covert, more considered in the spaces which I operate in, what I can be doing to help assist the fight that various marginalized people may have in that particular space. And sometimes that's not necessarily like, well, I feel in the ways that I exercise, it's not necessarily taking the thing head on in an aggressive way. Sometimes it's having the ability to see when um, discrimination is most likely to happen and creating an infrastructure or an environment that will make it difficult for that discrimination to take place wherever you can. You know, it's not always possible, but I guess an ally is somebody who does whatever they can do within their power to influence change. So that's what it means for me. Okay. And do you see that being different in South Africa than in other countries? Um, are we talking specifically about countries on the continent or? Yeah, let's do that. Let's, yeah, let's com do it comparative to other um, countries on the continent. You know, Africa is a really interesting space and I include South Africa because Africans tend to like um, exclude themselves from the continent. But what's really interesting is, um, we constantly have this battle between our own identity and I guess the global like zeitgeist, so to speak. And I find in like conversations around these types of things, we're kind of like stuck in a place where 
the collective struggle is one that's all about trying to get where everybody else is already in the world. But at the same time, I'm talking about specifically like economically and politically, that type of thing. But at the same and, time... And sorry, and for clarity, you're talking about South Africa or you're talking about the continent? I'm talking about Africans as a whole. Um, okay. Yeah. So we, we have this like thing where we're trying to be on the same level as everybody else in the world, economically and politically. But then there's all these social issues that exist as well that I think culturally we tend to make, or other as Africans, we tend to make cultural excuses for, and I know like with myself, um, there was always a good reason not to consider the struggles of people who are not like myself. And that's, and I, and I, I never used to see it in a, in a necessarily like malicious or negative way. You know, I wouldn't necessarily be part of the types of people who, you know, attack the LGBT community or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you'd, you'd still have a mentality that's like quite entrenched in the cultures of the particular country that you're in. So, and that's because you you, you want to protect your identity and you want to protect what you believe is your heritage. And I think the challenge sits in us really like taking the time to actually truly define what parts of our heritage are good for us going forward and which parts are mm -hmm. really not sustainable. So, yeah. Yeah, I hear that. Okay, so then the next question is, how and when did you learn to become an ally and why is it important? Can you give examples or narratives? And I want to kind of put boundaries around the word ally. And so in this case, like, how did you learn to become an ally to people who identify as women? Yeah, specifically. So if you can give examples and explain why that's important. Wow, okay. Um, so I'm going to give you a little bit of a story, if that's okay. But uh, so I, I love a story. Okay, cool. Perfect. So I went to a boys school, right? Um, in high school. And, um, after that, I went to a private institution in varsity. But, um, in my particular year, for whatever reason, there were only three girls in first year. And then the girls eventually, you know, as the years went on, they like dropped off for various reasons, moved countries, changed schools, etc. So basically, for most of my teenage and early adult life, I've been predominantly surrounded by men. And I guess even as a child growing up, it's me and my brother in the house. And we were just boys. And then eventually one day, um, my cousin comes to live with us and she's a girl. Mm -hmm. And I think she was like four years old at the time. But by then I'm already 11, I think. And um, so certain, I guess, quote unquote, non-harmful habits have already been entrenched. And then they grow up into like your teenagers, they mature rather into your teenagers and you get to varsity and like these things are growing. And me and my cousin, I call her my sister because, you know, she's lived with us her whole life. But um, mm -hmm. at some point she went to study overseas and um, she come and visit like in December and obviously I mean she's studying in America and the environment there is quite different from here so she would come back and like challenge a lot of the things you know that you know we we would do and we believed and one day her and I are having a conversation and she's not like attacking anything or being aggressive or in any sort of way. She's literally just painting a picture for me. And I begin to understand that like the difficulty is, and people always say this thing, they always say, oh, imagine if it was your sister or imagine if it was your whatever, your mom or, but that thing never really resonates with you because you don't actually know what the lived experience is, right? Mm -hmm. But 
for mm-hmm. a moment, a moment in our conversation, I remembered that like, I'm actually just enjoying the person besides the fact that she's my sister or anything like she's just a person, you know? And I thought about um, the specific details of the conversation, which were about the struggle she was having, you know, and how she started seeing a therapist and she got diagnosed with depression and all these types of things. And um, Mm -hmm. I was thinking, you know, it must be really hard for her being a foreigner, uh, an African foreigner, and then a woman as well. And I was like, you know, as difficult as things feel for me, I can only like, I can only imagine what kind of world she must be growing up in. And I thought to myself, what steps can I take to like change her experience at home at the very least? And I guess that seemed like from that point on, our relationship kind of got a lot better. And then I actually started to look a bit closer at myself and my circle of friends and that type of thing. And I realized that because of the way I was, I guess, raised and the decisions that were made for me, I I didn't really have female friends who I valued um, socially as much as I did like my guy friends. And people will be like, oh, that's pretty normal, right? Because you'll value the people you spend more time with. And I think that was the crux of the issue. Like, why is it that I don't see value or I didn't see value in spending time with women that didn't translate into, you know, some sort of romantic encounter or relationship. So Mm -hmm. that was quite a challenging moment, but not like heavy or anything, but it just started to scrutinize, I guess, my own thinking. And then you just start to take the necessary steps towards like building those relationships. But it's not really easy because by then you've lived your life in a way that you can't really change you can change, but you can't erase the past, you know. So uh, mm-hmm. people can tend to be a little bit skeptic, you know, about or suspicious rather about your intentions and your motives. So it was quite a an adjustment to make, but I think I'm getting there. Um, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Um, I am just a follow up question from that. Were you able to have kind of when you came to that realization, were you able to have like, how did you navigate those types of conversations with the women in your life? So I guess at the time you probably still would have been like fairly young. How did you navigate those conversations with women in your life when you realized that you wanted to build deeper connections with women that wasn't necessarily romantic? I think those conversations were forced on me without with like what I mean is like I had a She's my friend now, but at the time she was just like a colleague or whatever. But she's like mm-hmm. quite, um, she is that firebrand version of like feminist, right? Like she's quite loud and aggressive and, you know, all of that. So she wasn't afraid to reprimand or bring correction to like weird things in the workplace, right? But outside okay. of just being like, like that type of person. She was also just like a really cool person, right? So anyway, she started dating my roommate at the time. Um, so I'd spend a lot of time with her or whatever. And I guess a lot of my early stage exposure to like these types of conversations was through like her particularly. So I guess I owe a lot to her. But I think starting in a place where I allowed myself to be a student and be like willing to simply listen and consider rather than defending I think that was a very important first step. Mm-hmm. And then once I took the time to learn certain things, approaching people to be friends is, it's not an easy thing for me, just like as myself, irrespective, simply because like I'm quite an introverted person. Mm-hmm. So 
to build those new friendships when you're like in your mid twenties. That's 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 how old I was. It's, it's quite um, it's it's a little bit difficult because how do you do that without you know? I guess confusing, or I felt at the time, how do you do that without confusing the situation? But I realized like it's literally just being upfront about it and just um, Mm -hmm. making it clear that you are being a friend and then also respecting the boundaries that you guys set together, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. I think. And I think the boundaries part is quite important as well, particularly for, for, for men, simply because like we've grown up in such a, you know, we use the word entitled, but like entitlement almost feels like you always got your way. Right. But sometimes you didn't get your way, but you knew that the opportunity to get your way existed, you know, um, again. Mm -hmm. So whenever you would interact with women, you interacted in a way that was quite predominantly focused on what it is you specifically wanted from it. So for me, changing to more of a, a position where I felt a positive kind of restriction that a boundary created forced me to see, you know, the woman around me that I was opening myself up to, to being friends with in a different light. So uh, I think that was quite an important thing. And, you know, the, I don't think there's a formula per se or a way to go about it. I think a person, a man needs to look at themselves, look at their own weaknesses and tendencies, and I guess create the boundaries that work for, for him, you know, or not work for him, but rather are effective in combating, you know, the behaviors that he's, built up over the years. I totally hear that. And kind of just to piggyback on what you're saying and agree with you, I think, yeah, it's really interesting. So as somebody who identifies as a woman, my friendships or the people who I was closest to in life were largely women. And the men that were close that I was close to in my life were either people that I had been in romantic relationships with or that I had like have been my best friends from childhood or high school. And so I remember making a concerted effort saying, wow, like this feels not as kind of balanced as what I was looking for personally. And so I went out of my way to make more male friendships. But yeah, essentially just to echo what you're saying, there were some people that I made male friendships with that I think or tried to spark male friendships with that felt that they were trying to get their way. And so even though boundaries were established at the beginning, kind of over time, that was not what um, like what we had agreed to was not what came to pass. And then there were incredible male friends, and I'm going to throw yourself in there, who, yeah, showed up and kind of continue to respect boundaries. And like, it's been such a kind of beautiful and powerful experience um, of creating friends from different genders in kind of my early 30s. I didn't think that that would necessarily be possible. And I think like when you said, like if you are largely surrounded in an environment where people are of one gender, you like that kind of becomes your mode of operating and potentially a really good argument for why we should have mixed gendered schools. But that's a different story. But yeah, just this kind of idea that obviously men and women can be friends. um, But I think there's dynamics that definitely change as you get older. Um, and so I would, yeah, I would also be really curious as to like, what is it like making friends across genders when you're in your forties or in your fifties? Yeah. So just to say, I hear you and thank you for kind of sharing your experience. Um, because I think that there are a lot of people going through the same thing, but from either, yeah, from a similar perspective or like an, a different perspective, which is kind of where I was coming from. I guess, I mean, just to add to what you said, there's a really interesting question that arises 
with is the boundaries that you set naturally in trying to, you know, build the friendship. But I think as you get older at different stages and as your, I guess your, your, the life expect, not life expectation, but the demands on your life rather adjust. Do you think the pressure of life, and I don't mean necessarily in any other way other than socially, like how society, let me make a bit an example out of the question. My parents are the kind of parents who in the past, until I sat them down and spoke to them properly, would be the kinds of people who would constantly do the whole, when are you getting married thing, right? And then mm-hmm. they, yeah. would, um, they would um, say, for example, I introduced them to a friend of mine, an actual friend. Yeah. If that's like my best friend's mm-hmm. girlfriend or whatever, yeah, they would ask me afterwards, oh, she's a nice girl. How about, you know, what's happening there? Blah, 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 whatever. And you're like, wow, I said she's a friend. Can we not just be that? So I'm using that as an example to be like, have you, how have you dealt with differentiating the difference between this person is my friend, but maybe they've just found themselves in a situation where because they get along with me, a lot they believe like there's a natural next step um and is that something that i guess like how do men how should men navigate those kinds of things i think that's a big like question like for guys like me who you know we do interact with women and the attraction thing will always be there but like how do you cross the bound how do you either cross the boundary in a respectful way or know when the boundary should definitely not be crossed That is an excellent question. So I want to caveat this by saying like, I can only speak for myself as somebody who identifies as a woman. So this is not, um, and like, yeah, everybody is different and all people are different and all women are different and people who identify as women is different. So this is just my experience. Um, And what I would say for me and what I found the most kind of profound in navigating uh, new friendships with men in my late 20s, early 30s has been communication. And I know it sounds like it's like beating a dead horse in the way of like we always say communicate, communicate, communicate. Um, But I think that. Yeah. Like being, like you said, being upfront. So when you first get to know somebody being upfront about, okay, this is like, I am looking for a friendship and this is kind of the direction that I like, this isn't the the parameters or the boundaries and the way that I would like to get to know you. Um, but if that changes for either of us, or if that changes for both of us, that I need you and myself to be committed enough to this friendship that we're going to talk about it and we're going to have hard conversations. And because I think like it's totally some of the best romantic relationships start out in friendships and some don't. But I think that there's a certain level of boundaries that change when things move from friendships to romantic relationships. But I think it's also important to really ask yourself when you're getting into a friendship with somebody new, regardless of their gender and regardless of how you identify is what are my intentions? here and being like honest about where you're at and what your intentions are and then constantly asking yourself that question so if there's a moment like let's use practical terms so like let's say there's a moment where if i was dating somebody and uh, a friend was like wanted like crossed a boundary or wanted more of my attention or was like punishing me because I was romantically interested in somebody else. Like that would be a moment to be like, Hey, why does this feel uncomfortable? And like, let's talk about it. So from like a, from a, Ooh, this is an icky feeling 
to let's talk about it. And, and like those conversations might at some point happen daily or weekly, or there might be years in your friendship with somebody where those conversations don't happen. And I think it, it goes for people who are also in like any like same, same sex relationships or same similar gender relationships. But for me, especially as it relates to my friendships with men and especially newer friendships with men, I want to talk about it. And I'm also very vocal to talking about it. And I recognize that a lot of people aren't or they don't have the tools. And so I feel like I got a lot of those tools from going to therapy and learning boundaries personally and professionally with family and romantic relationships. Yeah, a lot of those for me came from therapy. And so I expect um, the people that I'm in friendships with to be working on themselves. Yeah. And I find whether that's therapy or kind of like other tools that people use. But yeah, all that to say, I want to talk about it. And I recognize that, yeah, romantic feelings do come up for people. But like when one or both of those people feel that, that that needs to be talked about and then kind of working worked through like, hey, what is it like do if both people feel romantically, what does that mean for like a next step? If one feels romantically and the other doesn't, what does that mean for how the friendship's going to go going forward? Does that mean that we need to take like people need to take space from each other? What does that look like next? So, yeah, that's a long winded way of saying how I would approach that situation. Like you say, I guess that makes more of an argument for maybe not necessarily schools, but like boys and girls to be socialized in the same ways, because I know like maybe that, I don't know, actually, I'm not a scientist or a biologist. I don't know how the brain works or whatever. But the thing is, uh, my hunch is that if from right from the beginning, like early ages, there wasn't that separation in girls should behave like this, guys should behave like that. The one benefit of it would be there would be that sincere or natural since no, it's not even natural because it's developed over time, but that more sincere kind of friendship. You know, the thing I used to say in the past was when people would ask me and say, oh, no, why don't you have any female friends? I'd say I don't really believe in platonic relationships because at some point, somebody has feelings for someone else and I've never had feelings for Hilton, who is my best friend, for example. So like mm-hmm. if the true foundation of friendship is friendship, I think you, you want to be friends with people who you've been socialized, like to believe that they are your equal in every sort of way, you know, and that's an important thing. You know, that is a very important thing in my mind. But anyway, this is not my interview. I'm just bouncing. <laughs> Now, I appreciate the the question. Um, I guess I would just my last follow up question on that point would be. So you said in the past that you didn't think that people could be platonic friends or so you, you didn't think that. Yeah, you could have like platon- like friendships eventually would turn uh, somebody would have feelings so they wouldn't be exclusively platonic. What has changed for you, if at all, as to where you are now and how you view that? Yeah, this is uh, quite a I compart- compartmentalize my relationships with everyone, guys, girls, whatever. And I'm quite deliberate about it simply because what I've come to learn about myself is I get very involved, right? And Mm -hmm. not in a destructive way, but like I get emotionally involved with people in quite an active way where I take on whatever role they feel I need to play. Mm -hmm. So it's more of a protective measure. But the thing that's come out of it is that it's really helped me to really focus on the strengths and the the real benefits of specific relationships. And I broaden it simply because even as much as we're like separated by whatever genders we identify, 
um, worth or as. At the core of us, we're just people, right? So there are, there are things about you that I really, really like. And there are things about you that maybe I don't really want to necessarily know. And that's not really a bad thing. I think it's just mm-hmm. an it's just an important thing because what what happens a lot of the time is and I've seen it even like with my business partners as an example is because you spend so much time with people you spend time with them in the way you first agreed and then over Mm -hmm. time you begin to see them as other things but then what eventually Mm -hmm. happens is because that was never the agreement when a moment comes so if you take like business partners for example you get people like Mm -hmm. Who, who like to be quite intimate and like be mm-hmm. make sure that your family is okay and we're doing this all together mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. But then you'll get someone yeah. else who is, is really just about, you know, the nine to five part of it, um, the transactional mm-hmm. part of it. And they may give you the room to get to know them a little bit more. But at that crucial moment where things are really hectic, their motivations are different from yours. Um, and that can create yeah. conflict. You know, so as a protective measure against conflict and against like weird vibes, I simply just focus on what it is about the person that I really enjoy and try and build on top of that within the context of the agreement that we have. So it's really helped me a lot. Um, Yeah, I think it can work for most people. I like that. Um, Yeah, focusing on what you really enjoy about the person within the boundaries that you've agreed with. Um, Okay, so our next question is, what is one thing you want people who identify as men on the African continent to know? Sorry, so young people specifically who, yeah, so male identified young people on the African continent, what do you want them to know? And what is one thing for young people who identify as women on the African continent? What's one thing that you would like them to know? Oh, yeah. I hate to be a <laughs> It's okay. Here, now, now's, your, now's your pulpit. Go for it. Wow. I think as men, young men, particularly like men of like my generation and I guess younger, it's very important for us to, oh man, I didn't want to get this hectic. But anyway, here we go. Um, it's very important. Here we are. To, it's very important for us to um, learn about two things. I guess the uh, the, 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 I'm going to call it the world of toxic masculinity and then zeroing in a little bit closer. And I guess this is the South African in me, a little bit closer to rape Mm -hmm. culture and gender-based violence, simply because... Can you say that again? You said rape rape culture and gender-based violence? Yes, yes. So the rape culture thing is quite interesting because, I mean, I think... Was it last year? Yeah, I think it was last year. There was like that time in South Africa where they were basically... A young lady got killed... And then, you know, the whole country was up in arms and other young ladies decided, you know what, enough is enough. Um, We're not only going to stand up against this in terms of like marching in the streets and protesting and all of that, but we're also going to point fingers, you know, and out people and, you know, basically do our own sort of like Me Too movement, right? So all these guys that we knew were popping up on these lists, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. and a friend of mine called. And, and sorry for for, cl- for clarity, these were like uh, lists of either like alleged sexual assault encounters or yeah. violence towards women. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 It was this, that was the spectrum basically. Either like mm-hmm. abuse, like physical violence, like hitting and stuff, or mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, assault sexual assault. Yeah. So um, yep. anyway, so a friend of mine, and I'm just relating one particular phone call, but we had 
different friends at different conversations. But most of the starting points of the conversation quite casually would be something like, yo, my boy, if, what must I do if I see you on a list, right? And obviously mm. that was like just an opener to a phone call or the first time we meet and we'll laugh about it. But the serious part about it is you'd get guys who would say, oh, pff, me, a list, I'll never be on the list. Right, as we were a little bit more self-reflective, and I think that's the part mm-hmm. that I think is important. Some of my friends would be of the opinion that, look, I've probably done something where somewhere on that spectrum, it's probably offended or hurt somebody. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, before this thing was an issue, I've taken the steps to either apologize or, you know, correct. You can't correct what you've done, but like make let the person know that you acknowledge that what you did was not correct, you know, and it's mm-hmm. not easy all the time. It's like there's some things that are just you yourself are so ashamed that like you did something like that, that you just you've either like your brain has either done its thing where it's like blocked it out of your memory completely or alternatively, you created such a big justification around it that like there was nothing wrong in your opinion. But like, I think it's important to start there simply because once you start there, you start asking yourself more detailed questions around what are the things that constitute or that that define the sort of behavior like that, like what is rape culture? You ask yourself those questions and you find out the answers. Yeah. Then Mm -hmm. you go, okay, now that I have this information, what can I do about it myself? You know, and I think last year was quite an important moment in some of the lives of the people that are the men that I know. And I don't think it should take such a tragic moment for us to reflect. You know, we should be reflecting and looking at ourselves every day so that, you know, the next day we're hopefully a better person than we were today. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that for the guys, for the girls. Wow, what can I say about two women? Um, this is a tough one. Um, <laughs> You're all, you can also plead the fifth. You can say I'm. Yeah, I don't have advice. Uh, I I don't necessarily have advice. I would just say um, keep doing your thing. But also, I guess the only thing that I would say is, um, yo, actually, nah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that I, I pregnant pause was like you thinking about. Yeah, I, I want to say what I want to say, but I'm like, I don't want to come across as like you know the actual problem because again, I I, I don't really know like all the the ins and outs of the experience i don't know any of the ins and outs of the experience but for as an outsider looking in i I guess all i'll say is like don't be afraid to show up you know and identify oh yes this is actually a thing you can start the edit from here actually this is the answer i think it's important to be willing and open to including allies in the struggle Sometimes it gets very easy, even like with the the MI Next movement, which was the movement I was talking about that happened last year in South Africa. What started to happen in like the first days of it was, you know, every guy was the enemy. And I understand that, you know, in the broader conversation, yes, that is the truth. But even in the moments where some guys were trying their best to reprimand other guys online or in real life or whatever the case may be, there was always someone else who was ready to point a finger and say, oh, you don't get to talk. And the thing is, in every struggle and every fight, every war that's taken place, there's been somebody who has been the enemy, has committed 
a crime or a violation of some sort against your cause, who at some point mm-hmm. had a change of heart and was willing to help even at the expense of their own life, you know. And I think it's important to make room for whoever the ally is who is not part of the the, the, the demographic that is directly affected by the discrimination. It's important to create spaces in society for those people to have a voice um, because more than a voice, those people also have a kind of power that you don't have, you know, and I know that's part of the fight, but like the power you don't have is if I'm some sort of alpha male in my circle of friends and mm-hmm. one of my friends is doing something to you that you don't particularly enjoy. The ideal scenario is for you to have enough of a voice and enough respect for you to say something and something gets done about it. But more often than not, that's not the case. So if you do have an ally who in that situation is a guy and can do something about it, don't be afraid to rely on them. And I guess it's a two-way street because you know you can't rely on people that haven't you know stood up to be reliable. Mm-hmm. So I think it is mm-hmm. important for people to be friends with each other, build trust with each other, and like that love that's like not based on um, some sort of a transaction, but it's just people seeing each other as people and then doing the normal mm-hmm. thing that we do with all of our relationships is that in the same way that I don't care that my mom is a mom and she's a woman, like I rely on her for things that I know she can get done. And she relies mm-hmm. on me. So I think that's the most important thing. The only thing that I would say to women is um, maybe be open to building real meaningful friendships with guys who are open to building them with you and then using their strengths to help fight your cause. Okay. So kind of speak, moving from that position to a more, I guess, like self-reflective position. Uh, sorry, nothing that's not self-reflective. What I'm saying is like, this is, yeah, that's kind of like your advice for external looking. And so this question is more internal is what is something you're not proud of or you regret the most in your treat, your past treatment or current treatment, depending on where you're at of, um, of women. And what did you learn from that moment? Mm. Um, I'm definitely still learning from that moment. That's just the truth. Can you repeat that again? I didn't hear it. Oh, sorry. I'm definitely still learning from that moment. Um, it's it's still okay. an active lesson in my life. Um, okay. <laughs> wow. You see, in the beginning of our conversation, I said this requires a lot of vulnerability. This was the question I was hoping you'd forget to ask. But anyway, um, here we go. <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> um, sure. Uh, I haven't been very good to um, a few of the women I've dated um, in the past simply be well not simply because but it's just I wasn't bad I wasn't like abusive okay let me not justify I wasn't abusive yeah it's, also, it's not a race to the bottom either though yeah 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 it's I mean I wasn't abusive or, or any of those overtly negative sort of traits um, but I was, if I can use a euphemism, I was maybe um, a little bit too friendly with other people. So, um, yeah, I think, again, like when I spoke earlier, it's it's about identifying the, the weaknesses and flaws that you have as an individual. And for mm-hmm. me, um, one of the biggest motivating factors to go, and, okay, cool, it's time to actively start like every new woman that you meet, don't no matter doesn't matter how attracted you are to her, 
make an active choice to just be like, this is my friend, because it's a, it's a re-socializing exercise for me, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Because again, I came from a boys' school culture, which is all the isms that you can think about that exist in the world, you find them in boys' schools like to the extreme. So you pick mm. up on the ones that um, are more suited to your personality and your personal strengths and stuff. But then you leave school and you enter the world with them, and it's it's um it's quite a bad thing. So for me, that was oh man, I'm just struggling to say it by name. But yeah, I wasn't I wasn't very good to my girlfriends and romantic relationships. And like I said, I'm just it's still a thing I'm actively working on. Um, I've mm-hmm. seen improvements over the past, like maybe three years or so, but, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think I can still do a lot. I can still do a lot better. So that's something that I'm committed to doing. Yeah. Thanks for being honest about it and like talking about kind of the ugly hard things. Cause I think the only way that like we all collectively get better as people and as allies, regardless of our positionality is like, yeah, just being honest and open about what it is that we are not proud of and working with other people, well, working on ourselves first, but then also with other people to change that. So thank you for being vulnerable and honest. Cause I think there's a lot of people out there and I would say, yeah, a lot of men and women out there who are in similar or who have been, who find themselves in either a similar position now or who have been in similar positions. Yeah. And it's, it's really difficult because you fear being ostracized, but at the same time, you also fear, you fear, okay, now I've come onto this, you know, podcast. I've had this conversation and my habits get the better of me next week. And then what, you know, so you always have this thing where, you then you're publicly wanna, flogged in the square. Exactly. You know, and you, you just no, want to protect yourself against that. The, you know, these so. Twitter streets. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. But I, I think that's like kind of the first step in terms of a commitment to doing differently. And I think a lot of our male listeners will appreciate and female listeners will like, or any listeners will appreciate that honesty. So thank you. Yeah, let's, let's hope uh, the female friends I have, um, appreciate the honesty too and not like oh man yeah you're a crazy guy but uh we'll see well you'll you'll have to you'll have to let us know you can report back um if i'm alive to tell the tale yeah so (laughs) um okay so i have two more questions and then we'll go into the rapid fire round um but i think you've already given the next question was um what advice would you explain to african men as it relates to being an ally but i feel like you've really you've already identified or like spoke to that in terms of question three, which is about identifying like, what would you want young men to know? Um, so I'm going to move right into the last question before we get into the rapid fire round, which is explain a time where you've really stepped up for women and how did that make you feel? So ending on a positive note. Okay. Um, it's really weird. Um, a friend of mine was saying to me um, the other day, she's a girl, she was saying, um, she was looking at like the work that we've done as a company in the past, like, two years and eight months and just like you guys are actually a woman brand company and i'm like i've never actually thought about that and she's just calling out like the different things and what's crazy is in media and advertising particularly people like to jump on causes because it benefits the sale right Mm. Um, Mm-hmm. And the, what that does is creates a culture of dipping in and out. So you're not really invested in whatever it is, whatever solution you found, you know, uh, based on strategic insights and all of that. You're not really invested in it. You're invested in it for a campaign period and then you move on, right? But 
Yeah. Um, with us, what has happened is, and it's not like we were actively seeking these opportunities out. I'll never take credit for that, you know, but it just happened that most of the campaigns that we've actually done have been focused predominantly on women. And none of them have been anything like, oh, stop women abuse or anything. But like they've led us to a place where by virtue of what the outcome is expected to be, you have to put a woman in an empowered position, you know, whether it's investing in um, her career, like we've done with a local musician where basically she part of a group and um, like a a girl group back in the day, uh, they split up. She was off the scene for a bit and then she was making a comeback, but she was fully independent and she was explaining to me at the time how the industry works. You know, men do, they'll basically be like, I'm a producer and uh, uh, the fee for my beat is whatever, 200K, 20K, 80K, whatever my personal fee is. When a male musician comes into the picture, whether they're new, whether I respect them, whatever the case may be, I'm willing to do it as a trade exchange, right? Mm. When a female musician comes into the picture, it's a trade exchange as well, but not the kind of trade that she's looking to exchange. So mm. there's, there's, there's that pressure and it becomes very difficult to build yourself as an independent artist. So um, we became quite involved by virtue of a brand we were working on in building her brand, I guess, um, for an extended period of time um, in partnership with the objectives that this other brand was trying to meet, um, which was a women's swimwear and lingerie and um, homeware um, brand. So it was just a, I mean, that's one example, but it's, I guess the big thing I'm trying to paint is once you've made yourself open to the possibility of women just benefiting equally, whatever that means, I think those opportunities just make themselves more available to you, you know, even where naturally you would would default to communicating from your lived experience because that's another thing about the field of work that we do is that, sure, you're going to give me the sales objective or the brand objective, but when I actually sit down and unpack how that objective should be communicated in a way that's palatable to the everyday man. I do it from my lived, my personal lived experience. I tell you a story about brothers, you know, to sell a cook, mm-hmm. but it's actually the story of me and my brother, right? So mm-hmm. it, it becomes mm-hmm. really, it becomes quite a different experience when you're telling stories about women as a man. How do you how do you do that? You can only do that by exposing yourself to information um, and exposing yeah. yourself to the lived experience of women. I guess I'm unfortunate yeah. to that. Or, or having women tell those stories, as, or creating a platform where women can tell those stories. Tell those stories exactly, exactly. Yeah, I don't awesome. know if I answered that okay. question. But I think I did. No, you to- you totally did. Um, okay. You definitely did very thoroughly. Um, so we're going to move into the rapid fire question. So. Um, as our listeners will know, I'll ask you a series of questions and it'll be either or and you pick one. And then uh, if you want, you can give a little bit of background as to why, but you don't have to. So I'll start at easy, which is one that we normally do. Um, so still or sparkling? Sparkling. What? Obviously sparkling. What are you talking about? Yeah. This is why you, this is why you and I are friends. People who say still, not the same WhatsApp group. Um, okay. What about like- beard? Sorry. Say that again. Uh, those people are psychos. I can't co-sign that, but you you know <laughs> where my heart lies in the sparkling. Um, okay, the next one is beard or nah? 
I would love to say beard, but I, I my beard doesn't grow out fully, so definitely <laughs> not because I just look weird with 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 a beard. Yeah. Okay. Um, memes or gifs? <sighs> That's a tough one. <laughs> Actually, it's not that tough because most of the time, like I, I'm not a very active person on social media, so I feel like memes are quite kind to people who like to show everybody how funny they are. Whereas like mm-hmm. GIFs are like you're interacting with your friend, your friend says something weird, you give them a response. So for me, like on my phone as well, I have like a lot of like stocked up GIFs. So yeah, definitely the GIF. Okay, so GIFs or GIFs is my next one that I've just thrown in. You said GIF, so I mimicked what you said, but I usually say GIF. No, I said I said GIFs. I said GIFs. You said GIF. Okay, so we'll, we're going to move along right next to the to the next question. Um, safari or coast? Safari or coast, like the like the coastline, so the beach. Oh, I thought you said post. I was like, what are we comparing an email <laughs> to? <laughs> no, 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 no. Like oh, okay. safari oh. where there's animals, or t- Tiger King if you watch it, or coast where there's beach. Um, coast, coast, yeah. I think I went on too many safaris as a kid. Never too many safaris, but I will respect Coast. Um, What about book versus Kindle? (sighs) A book. Um, The the graphic design trained person in me just knows like there's something special (laughs) about the tactile nature of a thing that's been considered, like which paper you use, um, printing techniques. I just I just like books, like physical books. Yeah. Okay. And then the last rapid fire question, fork or knife? What? Um, fork. A knife is, <laughs> you can live without knives. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Or, or, or sometimes your, your fork can become a knife in really desperate situations. Exactly. The fork is more, um, it has more of a utility to it than, than a knife. A knife, I feel like, can only be used to stab and cut things. But a fork can be used to stir. Well, a knife could be used to stir too, but <laughs> forks just feel like they can do a lot more okay um on that note how do the people how do our listeners find you where do you live on the internet well um probably just my instagram i mean i have twitter which is i'm not particularly active um my instagram is it's just my name and surname so that's t-s-h-e-p-o-m-o-s-o-e-u yeah Great. Um, thanks so much for being on the podcast and please let us know um, how everything pans out on your journey in allyship. Yeah, definitely. Um, thanks for having me. This was really, was really cool. And um, it was also really um, intense, but in a good way. Um, thank you. Cheers. Okay, bye.